Total Skin Nerds is brought to you by SkinFix. We're clean, clinically active, and on a mission to help heal your skin. Welcome to Total Skin Nerds. I'm Amy Risley, the CEO of SkinFix and a first-rate skin nerd myself. On this episode, my guest is Dr. Zeno Via, a board-certified dermatologist, a leading hormonal skincare expert, and the voice you want to hear from when it comes to what happens to your skin through different phases of your life. Dr. Zeno Via has built an incredible practice, paying detailed, groundbreaking attention to the relationship between your hormones and your skin, from pre-adolescence, through pregnancy, through menopause, and everything in between. Coming up, Dr. Zenovia talks about the relationship between hormonal balance and your appearance, the role hormones play in collagen production and inflammation, what estrogen has to do with pain, plus what you need to know about progesterone, testosterone, thyroid, cortisol, and so much more. Stick with me, nerds. Don't go away. Dr. Zinovia is an expert in hormonal dermatology. In fact, I dare to say you are the inventor or creator of this idea of hormonal dermatology. Kind of, yeah. (laughs) As a woman is particularly interesting to me and all women, I'm sure, all men too, but women seem to be more attuned to to their hormones and their fluctuations. So tell us a little bit about how you became interested in this specific field of dermatology and the link between hormones and skin health. Great question, Amy. I'm super excited to be here. I so appreciate this is exciting season finale. So basically, I mean, like all dermatologists, you graduate residency, you know, knowing everything under the sun about the basic science of the epidermis. And our boards are extremely um, catered towards the erudite and the zebra diseases. And and the joke is, if it's clinically relevant, it's not going to be on the board exam. Okay. And so you <laughs> Um, the expert at all the genodermatoses and all the autoimmune bullous disorders. And when you come out, you're kind of learning acne for the first time and you, you learn Botox at a residency. And anyway, so as I was kind of, you know, becoming a real dermatologist in the real world, I started to notice that there was a lot of transition in women's lives and it was really affecting their skin. And a lot of these transitions were happening in my own life. You know, when I got pregnant with my first baby, I got a ton of melasma. My mom started complaining to me how dehydrated her skin was and she was being irritable and had insomnia. And I'm like, God, I wonder if this has to do with her menopause. And Anyway, it it just, it basically was a journey of treating thousands of people, including many, many women through all the stages of life. And one of the key things that's different about dermatology versus other fields of medicine is that you treat kind of the human spectrum. You treat kids, adolescents, um, you know, mothers and fathers and grandparents because we do skin cancer in old people. We do acne in teenagers, warts in little kids, and and you run the whole gamut of the human spectrum, both male and female. And so I just began to kind of connect that there's like significant hormonal changes, particularly in women, that we are kind of unraveling. We're now talking more about the menstrual cycle and people are tracking their period on all sorts of apps. 
Um, I noticed a ton of women were looking for bioidentical hormones because, you know, that kind of was taboo subject in the 90s. And women didn't want to go through menopause feeling crappy and hot flashes and ugly and whatever it was that they were feeling. They wanted to fix their hormones, but nobody was really kind of linking the impact that hormones had on the skin. And so I just, out of personal interest, out of kind of the white space in my patients, I just started to link it and think about it and study it. And I went to conferences and I started to look into bioidentical hormones and what hormones did for a woman, both internally and externally. And I started to see that there was a real strong link between our hormone balance and um, how our skin looked. Amazing. Well, I'm glad you did because it's it's a, a lot of interest to all of us women who are going through these stages. And even yes. just looking back as I was reading through some of your um, you know literature and understanding a bit about you before this interview, I realized just in retrospect what was going on with me that I hadn't understood until until I read what you had written. So so thank you. Um, let's talk a little bit about the main hormones that are affecting our skin and sort of what each one is responsible for, good and bad? <laughs> really good question. I think that um, obviously we all hear about estrogen, progesterone, and testosterone, but you know, there's, there's a whole nother slew of hormones as well. There's thyroid and cortisol, and there's a hormone called melanin-stimulating hormone that um, is produced out of our anterior pituitary gland, which is our brain. And um, there, there's a whole milieu of hormones that affect the skin. Um, primarily, um, estrogen, progesterone, and testosterone are kind of the sex hormones. Um, they all are basically, they have an androgen profile. You know, which hormone has more of an androgen bias? And we know testosterone is the male-dominated hormone. And testosterone does have a proclivity for the sebaceous gland. And we know that there are testosterone receptors in the skin on our oil glands, as there are many estrogen receptors on the skin in our, in our hair follicles, as well as our brain. So um, estrogen is kind of the predominant female hormone, we think of that. And we know that testosterone is the male hormone and progesterone is in there for kind of childbirth and some of the menstrual cycle. So they're all like this soup playing a role in your skin and your oil production, um, in the inflammatory markers, in the dehydration of your skin. And so they're playing a part at the epidermis and influencing um, basically how your body processes collagen, produces sebum, um, develops inflammation. So there's a lot of hormonal stimulation at the epidermis level. It's, it's so fascinating. I loved how you sort of break down at least a woman's journey. I guess it's a man's journey too, but let's, let's focus on women. Um, a yeah. woman's journey through life into sort of six phases. And I'd love yeah. to do a little bit of a deeper dive into each phase and understand sort of what's happening uh, because that's when I, I really understood a lot more about what was going on in skin. And I think, um, you know, starting with puberty, which I have a 15 and a 16-year-old, so... Yeah. I'm in the thick of it. It really helped me to understand why acne flares in puberty. But let's talk a little bit about what happens in each stage, starting with puberty. Excellent question, Amy. Basically, you know, the stages of life are not a digital system. Okay, they're not on and off. It's not like one day you're not in puberty, the next day you are. Okay, and if you look at self physiology, 
um, the cells have the same DNA in them from the minute you're born, actually the minute you're conceived, on up to till death, right? Our DNA imprint, the amino acid structure is the same from in every cell in our body. It, it kind of doesn't change. However, what changes in the cells is what genes get turned on and when. And so the idea that our genes turn on at different stages of our life is where we begin to kind of unravel the secrets of the stages, you know, the hormonal stages of our life. So for me, who also has a teenager, I know that like around 11 years old, you know, young little girls start getting crabby. They start getting a little oily. They start getting a little kind of snotty. And yes, they do. A lot of- <laughs> This is the way it is. And her skin started to change. And, you know, basically what's happening is through the growth hormone and the androgen receptor hormones and all the gonadotropin releasing hormones, GNRH, gonadotropin releasing hormones, those are genes that get turned on around early adolescence. They go to the gonads the testicles and the ovaries, and they turn on genes that weren't turned on before. And the GNRH, the gonadotropin-releasing hormone, goes to your ovary and says, turn on estrogen, turn on testosterone, and you start releasing these hormones into your bloodstream that you weren't releasing when you were seven. Right. And so those hormones trigger sebaceous stimulation. And they go up into the hair follicles. Every hair follicle has an oil gland and you produce oil. And so you say oilier skin, more sebum production, scaly scalp, and you get smelly. You start having BO. These oh, are yes, all- they do. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Ask my son. I'm like, you're 11 and you have like the man smell. Where? Okay. <laughs> it starts to happen. That's basically the trigger. And of course, during pregnancy- um, so puberty, just to go through some of the stages, we definitely see a surge in um, androgens and sex hormones. So you start seeing acne and oiliness. And then again, you know, as we, as we move forward into adolescence and into like, you know, pregnancy and things like that, when women start becoming fertile, we start seeing higher levels of estrogen. So we'll begin to see melasma and pigmentary disorders. And um, you start seeing sunspots a lot sooner than, you know, you could be in the sun all day long when you were 15, but when you're in the sun all day long and you're 28, you definitely see more sun damage because there's more estrogen in the system. So you start seeing pigmentary disorders. Um, And then again, um, in uh, pregnancy itself, uh, we start to see uh, certain eczematous conditions, rosacea, kind of an autoimmune imbalance during pregnancy because during pregnancy, we are kind of in an immune suppressant state. And so we, um, we get more inflammatory conditions post and during pregnancy that have to do with that immune state of pregnancy and the fluctuation of hormones. Some people look gorgeous in pregnancy, you know, like, oh my God, you're glowing. A lot of that is, um, you know, your, your estrogen is high during pregnancy and you, and you get a lot of tissue remodeling, a lot of fibroblast stimulation. So you look glowing. Now, a lot of women have elevated progesterone, which can cause acne during pregnancy. So high progesterone can be an acne-causing 
cocktail in people's bodies, not in everybody. And so that's why low progestin oral contraceptives are better at acne treatment. So when you when you're when a doctor's giving you a birth control pill for acne, they're looking for the birth control pills that have lower progestins because progestins are known to cause acne. Okay. Well, you talked a little too about how this increase in melasma and melanin production triggered by an increase in estrogen, say during pregnancy, can also cause cause that sort of, you know, those typical signs you see of darkness around the nipples or darkening of the skin on the vulva and different areas of the body. But talk a little bit about the link, um, as you alluded to, between estrogen and the building of collagen and elastin and the increase in sort of the skin barrier integrity that gives you that that glow during pregnancy. Well, I love it. Perfect transition. One of the things, just a small little add on Amy to the darkness of the vulva and the nipples in pregnancy is a research, a real increased spike in melanin stimulating hormone during pregnancy. So a lot of that comes from the melanin stimulating hormone as well as the higher estrogen, but the anterior pituitary gland in our brain produces a tremendous amount of MSH and that causes our moles to get darker, our nipples to get darker. So definitely pregnancy is an amazing uh, hormone kind of process. But as far as estrogen and the link with collagen, it's a really interesting model that if you look at estrogen levels and collagen levels in females, it's almost a one-to-one correlation. As your estrogen levels go up, your collagen levels are kind of one-to-one. As your estrogen levels go down, your collagen goes down. And um, part of the reason why is we know that estrogen is a very proliferative hormone. It causes tissue growth. It causes proliferation. And it does cause stimulation of fibroblasts to produce, those are the elastin and collagen producing cells of the skin. And so we know that during high estrogen phases, your breasts get tender. You know, you look bloaty and pouchy because estrogen is kind of stimulating all your cells to swell. So I do think that there's a tight correlation, Amy, between estrogen levels at the the skin level and collagen production. Let's talk a little bit about perimenopause, menopause, because Mm -hmm. that's when the collagen starts to really decline. The estrogen starts to really decline, and that's when everything starts to really kind of (laughs) come apart. Yeah, Yeah. and it's just, it's a really slow process. I have to say that, um, you know, the perimenopausal period is is really kind of a psychologically trying time for people because, you know, you've got your babies, they're growing up, and now all of a sudden, you're just, you're feeling not yourself. You might be a little more depressed, um, not interested in the things you used to be interested from a sexual standpoint, libido, for example. Um, and skin wise, you be, we begin to see things. We begin to basically experience more dehydration and dryness. And when you decrease your estrogen levels during that kind of perimenopausal period, we do see trans epidermal water loss is what we call it. T-I-W-L trans epidermal water loss. You, you, you decrease your ability to retain water. So you do need more moisturizer, things like that. That becomes more accentuated when you're in frank menopause, but you start to see early signs of it. Women are complaining, I used to be so oily. I'm not oily anymore. I have to put moisturizer on my face. My cuticles are cracked. Um, Sex hurts because I'm drier down there. So there is a definite correlation between epidermal hydration and uh, estrogen deficiency. So estrogen deficiency, in effect, is causing a leaky skin barrier. 
Basically, it does. And, and it's not so much that the cholesterol barrier is compromised, but you're just not holding it in as much because the spongy cells aren't there to hold it down. And so you're just dehydrating it more. It's like your sponge is thinner. One of the things you also talked about was that estrogen has to do with our pain reflex or our pain, our pain senses, and that when mm -hmm. estrogen declines, you're more sensitive. And so we're yeah. not imagining things. Our skin is actually more sensitive and potentially more reactive as our estrogen it declines. Is. It is. So I see, um, you know, when we do procedures, for example, on women, lasers that are invasive or even surgical procedures, I, I always tell women, you know, how are you with your menstrual cycle? Do you feel more like pain? Like if a, you have a pimple, for example, before your period, does it hurt extra? And they're like, yeah. And that's because for whatever reason, I'm not sure if there, there has not ever been an established link between the neurons, the actual neurons of the tissue and what estrogen does to them. Or if it's just like a psychological weakness, like we're just intolerant a little bit more, more irritable when we have a little bit less estrogen. And so that makes us feel more pain. So I, I definitely sense without a doubt, people experience more tenderness. You know, when I'm injecting lidocaine for a procedure, they're more tense. Or when I'm doing acne extractions and completely relevant to their hormone state. Okay, so that happens in perimenopause, menopause, postmenopause, it also fluctuates yeah. throughout the menstrual cycle as well, which is it why does. right before your period, you're sensitive during your period, you're sensitive because your estrogen yeah. is in taking a bit of a dip. You've got it. Amazing. I mean, I it, it makes so much sense. So given how critical estrogen is to the whole equation, um, and you know, I, I um, have heard about people using topical estrogen to treat vaginal dryness and to treat, you know, other issues. Um, is there any value in putting an estrogen or an estrogen like substance in a facial skin cream? There is, I, um, I remember, um, very early in my career, um, we were the vaginal creams that were estrogen based estrates and things like that. Dermatologists were playing with them on the eyelids, you know, significant results with just doing vaginal estrogen creams on the eyelids for that like early like laxity in the lower lids um and that fell off the radar for a long time amy primarily because when the women's health initiative came out which was this huge cohort study by the fda that basically reviewed hormone replacement therapy in its relationship to all things female it came out that there might be you know a, a link between estrogen and breast cancer and breast cancer, as we know, has a ton of research and media attention behind it. And since that Women's Health Initiative came out, the, that was, I don't know, 15 years ago now, people have unraveled kind of the, the links that were postulated in that study, which essentially scared the heck out of all of the providers that were supplementing women with estrogen. And it had like estrogen cause, you know, links to breast cancer. And that kind of blind correlation has been dismantled. And, um, and we know that estrogen doesn't cause breast cancer. And we and so, like I said, those early, those early findings of estrogen having a trophic effect on the tissue, a building up of the tissue on the face fell off the radar when those studies came out. And now the pendulum is swung back. And so, for example, one of the things that I found is there's a lot of plant-based mimickers of estrogen. 
such as soy-based particles and things that are already used kind of in different lines, but um, nobody has really kind of isolated an estrogen mimicker to see if it does have an effect. And that's kind of the work that I've been doing to develop my line, Dr. Zinovia. You talked a lot. I listened to your podcast on Los Angeles with Kirby Johnson, um, who I love. I love her podcast. And you talked a lot about desquamation, which Kirby Kirby fell in love with the term. Tell us a little bit about, I mean, desquamation is basically the skin's natural ability to exfoliate, it shed its cells. But talk a little bit about the connection between hormones and the slowing down of desquamation. I love it. I um. I like, for example, one of the things that, you know, it's kind of like paradigms, right? Like when I look at the skin as a physician and as a dermatologist, I feel like I'm part immunologist, um, you know, part pathologist, because I still look at the microscope every day when I do a biopsy of someone's skin. So I see what it looks like on the human tissue. And then I look at the microscope and I can do this micro macro correlation. And so you know, when you look at the cells under a microscope, the skin is a very rejuvenative organ, right? Like, like, like kind of like a lizard, you can cut off a lizard tail and it'll grow another one. Not all cells in our body have rejuvenation capacity. Okay. And so the cells in the skin um, have eight basic layers. It starts at the stratum basilosum, which is the basal layer on up to the stratum corneum, which is the dead layer. And that process of a cell going from the base of the epidermis, differentiating through the keratinocyte and squamous layers on up to the top and then flaking off is a very beautifully regulated, elegant kind of process. And it's it's essentially the differentiation of our cells from their like basic stem cell component, which is the basal cell, on up to its dead level of the stratum corneum. And that process is very regulated by our genetic profile. And it's, it's, it's impacted by our immunology. Like if you, for example, have an inflammatory disorder of the skin, like psoriasis, psoriasis accelerates desquamation. So you end up heaping up dead layers. Um, or estrogen, you know, if you're, when you're really, when you're a baby, that process of desquamation happens really fast. So your skin sheds every seven days and you're like smooth and silky. And then when you're, when you're 80, that desquamation process is really, you know, basically truncated and really slow down. So you end up desquamating slower. So you think of like the old crusty guy. Yeah. So the idea and then retin-A and retinols kind of regulate that shedding process. This is where we get that beautiful dewy skin with retinol. So um, as far as the hormone link with desquamation, I don't think that's been established, Amy, but I can tell you that because, um, you know, estrogen and estrogen-like molecules do have an effect on fibroblast production and you do see collagen production in the skin, which is basically in the dermis, you end up getting kind of a smooth, even kind of sponge across the dermis. So your epidermis, which sits on top of the dermis, looks tighter and smoother. 
And so it's not really impacting the desquamation process. That's where I, I incorporated retinols and glycolic acid in my line because I still think those are paramount in, you know, kind of the dewiness of the skin. So in general, I think desquamation is kind of where it's at. And I, I hear that you kind of have your own line with barrier function. I think the barrier is is kind of the hallmark of beautiful skin, repairing that barrier, managing that barrier, and, and, and basically supporting it with ceramides and peptides. It's all part of it. There's no one hit wonder. You know, the skin is too complicated of an organ to think one thing's gonna make it look amazing. This is why the comprehensive lines, I think, are really where um, beautiful skin comes from. Yeah. So given that, you, you are all about sort of supporting the barrier and the barrier function, and then, you know, desquamation is important, exfoliation is important. What would be, you've said retinol, you said um, glycolic acid, what would be sort of your top five ingredients that you feel we should be looking for in our skincare products? You, Amy, I love you. You're such, a, you're like, you're pulling the questions that I want you to ask <laughs> like coming out of you. Okay, good. I can, Girl, I could tell you know yourself. You need to be a dermatologist. I, I mean, swear. I you know I would have loved to. I just wasn't good at math and science. So I hear you, babe. But you you're so good. Um, <laughs> so it, I tell people all the time, it's not so much the product; it's the ingredient. Girls, read the back of your labels. So okay, I I mean, first and foremost, I'm a sunscreen worshiper, but I know it's not sexy, but gotta have it. I do believe in an active retinols. The problem, just a little comment on retinols. The problem with retinols is retinoic acid or tretinoin has a very complicated chemical degradation process in the cells. And what people don't know is that the retinoic receptor is actually in the nucleus. That's crazy. You have to bypass the cell membrane, bypass the nuclear membrane to get inside the nucleus. It's nuts. So a lot of the retinols on the market are really just named retinols, but they're not actually being delivered in the tissue. So I spent a lot of time kind of, you know, formulating my retinol to make sure that it actually got delivered in a stable form past those two membranes to get into the nucleus because retinols are really amazing at multiple things. But I love retinols, as you know. Glycolic and exfoliation is key because you're really trying to strip down that um, barrier and, and reveal that healthy, live epidermal tissue. I do think barrier functions is important. So ceramides, which are a cholesterol agent that is the mortar of the brick and mortar of the tissue, really help seal that barrier and protect the skin from inflammation and, and the environment. Um, I also believe in antioxidants. We talk about antioxidants all the time. Um, I know that everybody has their favorites, uh, pomegranate, green tea, polyphenols, vitamin C. Um, I'm a fan of, of active vitamin C. And, and by um, active, what do you consider sort of an active level? Because I know there are question. lots of vitamin Cs out there. Some state their levels, some don't. I just got yeah. asked this question yesterday by my brother, but what do you think is the best vitamin C? Vitamin C is a really tricky substance because um, it oxidizes in our Earth's atmosphere kind of on contact. And so some of like the esterified version of vitamin C is an ester form. It's, it, it's got a little esterification on its tail and that makes the molecule more stable. And if you, if you produce your vitamin C substance, in an oxygenated hood, 
a lot of the vitamin C that you're pouring in your bottle in your in your manufacturing plant destabilizes and, and basically, you know, oxidizes and reduces and it becomes unstable. Um, manufacturing is huge with vitamin C. So we produce our vitamin C moisturizer in an argon gas chamber so that it doesn't oxidize. So it's kind of like a really, you know, it was very mindful chemistry when we were coming up with our line. But in addition, it's not so much the percentage because again, Amy, you can have a high percentage, but if it's in its unstable form, it will oxidize. So I really like ester forms of vitamin C. I really like concentrations at 5% or more. And the key thing is vitamin C can be very irritating because it's ascorbic acid and it can inflame skin. So I, I like vitamin Cs that are delivered in a lipid soluble substance. That's how it gets into the cell in its stable form and it doesn't become acidic and irritating. That's so interesting. Our line, our barrier line is, is built around a, a lipid complex and we use a lot of other actives as well, including, you know, peptides and hyaluronic acid. But our chemist has said to us often, you know, I use a lot of these other actives and other lines, but I've never seen them work as effectively. And his hunch is that the lipids are helping to deliver them deeper into the, into the skin, potentially make them less irritating. So it's fascinating to hear that. That's it. And, and the way to think about it is it's kind of just plain chemistry and the cell membrane is a bilayer. So it's two layers and it's made up of lipids. And the only thing, it's like putting a drop of water on oil. What happens? It doesn't go in, but if you put oil on oil, it goes right through. So a lipid goes into another lipid. So that was brilliant that you guys did that. And I, I used a lot of lipids in my delivery systems as well because it's just a superior in tissue absorption. You talk a lot about inflammation as well, which, you know, we've heard over the years, Dr. Paracone, I think, was sort of the first to start talking about inflammation and how it affects the skin. But talk a little bit about that and, and how that might increase with age. And then in particular, I'd love to hear more about your, your nighttime treatment because it sounds fascinating, but talk a little bit about inflammation and what, what that means for the skin. I love this topic because it's um, kind of like, you know, being a doctor, I think as physicians, you know, you get educated with a certain amount of literature in your training, medical literature, and then you see that literature kind of evolve over time with your career. And one of the things that I've noticed in my career is just this concept of inflammation, gut health. You know, this is like, you know, kind of all the rage now. And, and you know, even, even heart attacks, which we thought were just like, oh, a blood clot went in your coronary artery and you got a heart attack. Oh no, there's a ton of inflammation in heart attacks. And so it's a very fascinating field. And I love immunology. That's probably my second favorite subject. Um, because the immune system basically governs what our body develops, right? Your immune system allows you to get you know, when your immune system is not functioning perfectly, you get autoimmune disease. When your immune system is, um, is out of whack, you get inflammatory acne. When your immune system um, is uh, um, basically affected, uh, it's not surveillancing your cancer cells, you develop cancer. So the immune system is a massive surveillance system in your entire body. And inflammation is 
a very natural process that the body has developed through you know evolution that essentially protects us from all sorts of diseases but inflammation is also not good too much inflammation so imagine if i cut you with a knife a dirty knife your body has to see the bacteria go up into that wound basically phagocytize the bacteria but then also plant down new epidermal cells and heal your skin so you're not like a caveman walking around with a cut all day so so essentially inflammation is totally important but too much inflammation can cause disease autoimmunity cancer heart attacks acne um, multiple sclerosis so all the diseases that we hear about have some inflammatory component and aging just the mere concept of collagen degradation, volume loss, um, uh, epidermal dehydration, there is an inflammatory component there. And it starts, Amy, with oxidative damage, okay? So we know that the ultraviolet radiation causes oxygen-free radicals and we wear sunscreen. We know that we use antioxidants to absorb these free radicals. And once those free radicals and the oxidative stress kind of surmounts the ability for our skin to repair itself, we get inflamed. And so inflammation is the end point of oxidation, oxidative stress. And now how do we clean up inflammation? And so you can't be putting cortisone on your face every day. That's how we, you know, cortisone or prednisone is like a grenade on inflammation. We don't want to be that promiscuous. We only want to slow down inflammation just a little bit. And so um, one of my favorite things was developing the inflammation night repair because I do think there's room and there's space for putting a little anti-inflammatory product on your face every night to basically absorb what you couldn't get with your sunscreen and your vitamin C or antioxidant. And then at night, you're repairing your skin. And um, it involves, you know, a really powerful green tea polyphenols, which are really antioxidant. There's some research that the um, ECGs in green tea can like shrink cancer, you know, and that's in the oncology literature. So green tea polyphenols are very anti-inflammatory, resveratrol, caffeine, and it's, it's kind of a trifecta, um, trifecta cocktail that I put in my inflammaging night repair. And I just think it's, it, everybody should be on it. I love it. I love this idea. I mean, the thing about those ingredients too, is that to your point, they're safe to use every single night. You know, there's exactly. no downside. They're really good for you. They're good for your skin. They can clean up all that stuff, as you say, yeah. that you didn't catch with your preventative right. measures or that your body's own defense mechanisms weren't able to, to overcome. So interesting. One of the things you talked about, too, is that the aging process and this process of going through the six stages of life is not linear. Um, and that it, this was really fascinating to me that it happens almost like a growth spurt, that it can happen yeah. in spurts. And I've definitely noticed that where you go to bed one night, and you wake up the next night and you're like, where did this come from? Like, what's going on? Why is the skin under my arms all of a sudden hanging? And yeah. it just seems to happen overnight. So talk a little bit about how that process happens or why that yeah. process happens. It kind of blows my mind too, because, you know, I mean, I'm going through the process myself and, you know, I remember kind of when, you know, I hit 40, I'm like, oh my God, my hair is just thinner. 
Like, how did that, you know, like hair loss is huge with um, hormone changes. Basically, you know, it's not like a child goes from one word, the next day, two words, the next day, three words, baby, you know, children go from like two words to like 15 the next day. And then, oh my God, 20. And, and, you know, they do these like spurts of growth. And I do think aging happens that way. And it, it, it might be that like when you, when you think about cell physiology, cause that's where it's, it all starts, you know, there's, there's a, there's like a, a tipping point of when certain things get turned on or off. So let's say you need so many micrograms of, of estrogen to be in the soup of your cell to trigger this gene to turn on. Well, you didn't get there. Like you kind of got there like overnight, you know, cause it's like, boom. And you just, it's that tipping point that that's the rate limiting step of the chemical reaction. And this happens in our genes. You know, let's say there's certain genes that get turned on, um, you know, um, I'm just, I'm just going to make it up off the top of my head, but let's say you're 11 year old little girl and you know, you're kind of going through life and your, your gonadotropin releasing hormone started turning on and your ovaries are now making a little bit of follicle stimulating hormone. You're making a little bit more estrogen, but you don't quite have acne. And you're just like, your body's just sitting there kind of like making a little bit, a little bit, but now mom and dad get a divorce and now you're super stressed. And now you're like not sleeping and crying all the time and you're stressed all the time. Now cortisol surges. Well, now your ovaries aren't just seeing that little baby estrogen that's normal. Now you get like a cortisol rush and boom, you start getting acne. Yeah, it's like a cocktail. You don't know what the heck's happening in there. And your cells are being kind of bombarded by a soup of mediators. And, and you need a chemical reaction to kind of like, you know, like we call it the rate limiting step or um, the Michaelis-Kaplan curve, which, which pushes the reaction forward. And if you only had a certain amount of substrate, the reaction doesn't go. But if you put one more micromolar in there, boom, the reaction goes. And, and so I think that's probably my theory on why we see kind of spikes of aging. Because I was good two days ago, but I just look weird over the last two weeks. <laughs> yeah. I don't recognize myself. Yeah. It's very disheartening. Yeah. But it so is. now knowing everything that you know, which is a formidable amount of information, what would you recommend to a woman, say, in her late 20s, early 30s, who's sort of on that, you know, that cusp potentially? She's in that sort of mm-hmm. um, golden phase, golden years of, of her skin health. And to anticipate what's going to come next and sort of how do you talk women through the stages and how they should change what they're doing both internally and externally? Okay, great. God, I love it. Um, so, so first, I think that, again, to say that you can never start early enough, okay? And, you know, we are bombarded constantly, Amy, with media, advertisements, some snake oil level, some legit. It's so hard to know what to do. And so I'm, I'm, I'm kind of a stickler as a, you know, an evidence-based physician, you know, evidence-based is kind of the buzzword in medical science now. I kind of lean on where the research is and kind of what's tried and true. And we know right now, and, and I don't know if this podcast is going to be listened to 20 years from now, and they're going to be like, oh my God, those girls were so stupid. They didn't know what they were talking about. <laughs> we're basing our information on what we know today. Right. Okay. Right. 
and I don't know, you know, it's like peptides were all the rage in the 80s. Then you had like stem cells. Who knows what the heck's going to come out in 10 years? Right. Something they find maybe, on Mars, maybe, who knows? Yes, <laughs> you know, or, or some molecular something that we don't know. But as of today, you and I, Amy, speak the same language. And I would tell a young girl, no matter what, you need protection from the sun in the morning. You need an antioxidant in the morning. At night, you need a glycolic and a retinol. And above all else, you need to sleep, have a low inflammatory diet, and take care of your gut. I mean, like kind of basics, kind of like, and, and I think those are important right now. Um, gut health was not talked about 20 years ago, but I do think it's become increasingly important in the immune system of your body. And the immune system is so incredibly important. So those are the four kind of concepts that I do espouse very early for women and, and they continue on. You know, as far as eye creams and serums, and it's like, okay, squeeze all that in, but don't forget sunscreen, antioxidation, glycolic and retinol, and everything else is kind of icing on the cake. And then as she ages, you just, you know, talk her through the stages and the various interventions that can help Correct. to supplement For example, them. when you develop melasma, do we add hydroquinone? Do we add kojic acid? If you start getting like adult female acne, do we add a little phytoestrogen on your skin to kind of, um, you know, minimize that balance? You know, and that's kind of, you know, that phytoestrogen element is what I think is lacking in a lot of skincare and that hormonal balance is key. And so this was kind of the inspiration for the skin line to actually, you know, not everybody's going to be on bioidentical hormones between the ages of you know, 30 and 50. So what are you going to do? And so you add a little bit of that phytoestrogen to balance out that skin element. It's not affecting the body internally, but it's giving you that little estrogen support that you need at the skin with a plant safe mimicker. I love it. I love how you've drawn the connection between all of these phases of our life and the things that are happening with our estrogen, progesterone, and testosterone and how they manifest on the skin, because mm -hmm. it just makes it so much clearer and easier to understand. And then there are things that you can do to your point to balance those hormones and help sort of ameliorate those skin concerns. I, I think it's genius. I'm really, really excited to, to check out your line at Sephora uh, on October 13th. I hope it'll be in Canada. You know, you can look me up now at drzenovia.com and that's my Instagram handle too. So it's already, um, you know, selling online on our website, but Sephora officially launches it October 13th. So I'm really excited. You know, for me, Amy, honestly, it's like, it's that same kind of like the way my medical practice runs in Newport beach. I'm at Xena medical is the name of my business. It's like, I kind of want it to be that like small town ice cream shop where you go there for like like real solid love advice and concern and honest medicine. And that's how I kind of want my skin line to come off. I want it to really help people who've been struggling with things that they haven't found answers for. Yeah. I love how you talk about root cause and we're all about root cause at skin fix as well. It's like, we'll treat the symptom, you know, we'll calm the yeah. eczema flare or we'll treat the keratosis polaris, but what's causing that and how can yeah. we with a topical, 
get yeah. get at that. And obviously there are yeah. other things at play and supplements and diet and sleep and all. I'm a big sleep proponent as well. But, yes. you know, how can we treat the root cause? And I love that about your line. I think that's so important. And understanding what's going on is just so critical. So I just really appreciate your time. And I look forward Thank to you, hopefully Me meeting you in person. If I get out to California to oh, see my yeah. parents, I'm going to come and see you at Xena Medical. You come and see me for anything. And look, it, I'm sure that it, you're such a, um, an introspective person, very lofty in your thinking. I love it. You ever want to invite me again and we talk about anything, procedures, is Botox safe? What the heck are you guys doing out there in the dermatology <laughs> world? I'd be happy because in the same way that I kind of approach like epidermal science and, and chemistry. I have all sorts of fun, interesting ways that I think about uh, skin rejuvenation and fillers and, you know, kind of debunking a lot of the myths out there. Amazing. You're such a straight talker and you make the science so easy for the rest of us to understand. So we will absolutely have you back and look forward to it. Thank you so much. Thank you, Amy. To learn more about Dr. Zena Via's medical practice, visit www.zenamedical.com. And to learn more about her products, check out www.drzenovia.com. I learned so much from talking with Dr. Zenovia. Her breadth of knowledge about hormones and our skin made so much sense to me. It was like multiple aha moments throughout our discussion. Here are the three things I can't stop thinking about. One, understanding hormones is truly a key component to understanding our skin, how it feels, what it looks like, why it changes. I'm excited to know Dr. Zena Via looks at dermatology through this lens and provides so much hormonal education for the rest of us. Two, when people refer to pregnant women as glowing, Dr. Zenovia explained that the phenomenon has to do with hormone-triggered tissue remodeling. It isn't magic, it's science. It's like the ultimate example of how our internal systems are directly connected to our skin. And three, according to Dr. Zena Via, the kind of estrogen deficiencies that occur in menopause are directly correlated to a leaky skin barrier, which means it's even more important to restore and protect your skin barrier as you age. Thank you for listening to this episode of Total Skin Nerds. Please subscribe to our show on iTunes and Spotify. Total Skin Nerds is produced by Rob Corso, Casey Kahn, and Howie Kahn for Freetime Media. Our theme music is by John Palmer. Special thanks to Melissa Miller, Shiri Feldman, Kelsey Chapman, Jane Meredith, Kara Loop, and Megan Collins. And I'm your host, Amy Risley. Till next time, nerds. Total Skin Nerds is brought to you by SkinFix. We're clean, clinically active, and on a mission to help heal your skin. Total Skin Nerds is a podcast created to educate. It is not a substitute for professional care by a doctor or other qualified medical professional. This podcast is provided on the understanding that it does not constitute medical advice. If you are looking for help with a skin concern, we would encourage you to seek the advice of a board-certified dermatologist, functional medical practitioner, or other qualified healthcare provider. You can find a registry of board-certified dermatologists in the U.S. at Find 
find-a-derm.aad.org and in Canada at dermatology.ca. For a registry of qualified functional medical practitioners, you can visit ifm.org. Thank you so much for joining us on this episode. We hope that you enjoy listening to Total Skin Nerds as much as we enjoy making it.